So we have a very special guest today. It is an honor to introduce her. I'm very excited because already just going off of the website alone, she is really trying to make a difference in our Baltimore City schools. So without further ado, I introduce to you Miss Ashley Esposito. Thank you. Oh, and I'll just introduce myself real quick. I'm Ashley Esposito. I live in Southwest Baltimore. Um, I'm a community member and a mom of a 18 month old. And, and you're running for the school board. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is actually, it's interesting because this is the first school board race ever in Baltimore's history. Like most of the other board members are appointed by the mayor. Okay, so you're so you're kind of inserting yourself in into it. So it's not going through the standard process. You're like here, you know. I'm here, you know. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I actually applied for one of the vacancies, but I didn't make it. That typically they appoint people who are like PhDs or um, you know folks that. I guess have like been involved with the school system for a long time, but I bring like a different perspective. Um, and I know many of us that were like community members didn't make it to the interview round. So yeah, when I saw this opportunity, I was like, you know what, this is like an interesting pathway and like more my vibe anyway. So I was like, let's do it. And, and I saw on your website. So, and, and plus you're, you know, Baltimore, you're Baltimore born and raised in the city, correct? No, I'm actually from Southwest Arizona, or, uh, yeah, the south, I guess, like, the southeast corner of Arizona is where I grew up. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. But I've been on the east coast for a while, um, and I've been in the Baltimore area since, like, 2008. Okay, so what was it that really got you into wanting to become a part of the school board? Uh, I've been doing community work, so I co-founded a neighborhood wellness association in my neighborhood of Violetville, um, and one of the things that we work on is working with the neighborhood school and the community school coordinator. So I was already doing the work, and I've also been working with like coalition groups around education in Baltimore City Public Schools, so everything that we had been working on kept stopping like at the school board, mm-hmm. and so it didn't really seem like we had like, it was a very engaging process. So I don't know. I, it just seemed like a lot of stuff needed to change at the school board level. Okay. Cause I have like spoken to people. Like I've, I've talked to um, like people who have served on the board and a board member and stuff. And it doesn't, there's, there's no, the way that it's set up now because they are appointed there's really no incentive to talk to the general public on a regular basis and the nature of campaigns, like that's how you get elected. So I think that component's missing because they are appointed. I see. They don't see. like outreach and stuff like that. So what do you think is going to be like your main focus on day one when you like get in there? Like, like, like what is your strategy going to be? Um, I really am somebody that that has like a policy background. So I work for Department of Human Services. I'm an IT analyst. So for me, like having data to back decisions and being able to see whether or not things that are that are happening now are like effective 
Um, I don't really see a lot of that data being used efficiently. So that's like the perspective that I bring, but also just having like community buy-in. So for me, pushing the school board to do the outreach, mm-hmm. like even as a parent and a community member, I receive things from the school system, but I receive them like with a couple days notice, you know, so for me to do the outreach to my community and tell them that something's happening, it's too late. Like we have a lot of working parents and stuff. They have to make plans. So if they find out about something like a day before it's happening or a couple days or a survey that's closing the next day, that's not, that doesn't help them get the data that they need. And it doesn't help the parents feel like they're involved. I see. I see. So your goal is to be able to link all, all of that data and be able to really, you know, show the people, look, these are the problem areas. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's usually like what type of energy I bring. Cause I've served on councils and boards before and that I'm always like bringing the community perspective or, um, uplifting like who's the most vulnerable in the situation because I think you know I do see a lot of schools getting a lot of resources but they already have a lot of resources and then I see other schools being closed which makes no sense to me at all Um, especially closing any school during the pandemic and also knowing that this school system has like historic disinvestment doesn't make any sense and it's also it has a huge impact on neighborhoods because if you take away the school, ultimately, like, you make that neighborhood less desirable, too, yeah. for people to buy. Yeah, nobody wants to move there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And our school, I even feel, is kind of, like, at risk. So that's why there's, like, a sense of urgency. I've made a promise to my community. You know, I have people in my neighborhood that have said um, they're considering moving to, like, the Northeast or even to, like, Baltimore County when they when their kids start school. And we have a bunch of babies and toddlers around here who, you know, I'm friends with the parents. And I'm like, just give me a shot. You guys already have seen, like, what I do. So let me just see if I can get in there and let me see what I can do to help, um, I guess, advocate for us mm-hmm. and help make it better and, and basically make, it, make an opportunity for them to stay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like um as I was looking at your your website actually what I liked is that your focus is really bringing the community together with the um you know with the school board. You're trying to bridge these these gaps and the the lapse of communication and so that you know the parents are being heard, you know, teachers being heard and, and making it so that everybody's on one accord versus it just being one-sided or as uh, you gave an example, uh, a communication goes out, but parents are like the last to know, you know, the people who need to know this information need to know what's going on uh, within the school, within the community, how the community can be affected. Mm -hmm. They're the last to know. And by the time they do know, they can't really take action. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's why a lot of decisions that are being made by the school board, a lot of people are, feel like the decisions are happening to them and not with them. Getting the PTA back involved. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the PTA is like, I know um, even, even with the, what is it? The SGAs, like the student government associations, like I've heard the school board say, Oh, we're trying to revive it. And it's kind of the same thing with the PTAs, but I think that's a flawed process 
because a top-down approach, doing outreach and telling people that they need to do a thing or why it's appealing isn't like the way to go. Like a bottom-up approach is better. And so removing the barriers for participation are like huge for me. Like, so are there fees that are, that make it hard for people to start these organizations? Are there issues with like meeting spaces? Cause like you have to have insurance to even use um, Baltimore city public schools as an organization. So $260 a year for ins- like liability insurance for some people that may be a barrier. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, it's easy to get involved in, and it's your responsibility as parents and community members to get involved, unless you're making it super easy and giving them the information and empowering them, like, that's, it's not sustainable. Right, right, absolutely. I saw on your website, um, you mentioned uh, you had ADHD growing up, um, which for me, hit close to home for me too, because I'm one that I still struggle with that to this day. Um, so I'm, I was just curious when you mentioned it, like what was the final moment that made you believe like this might be the reason for your difficulties? And like, what would you have liked to have seen or what is your plan as far as like the school board goes and implementing like programs for people like, like that? Well, I was actually diagnosed as an adult because I I come from a generation where um, one of my main learning differences that is like more like heavily impacting me is dyslexia. So I have dyslexia and ADHD Mm -hmm. and I wasn't diagnosed until I think like four years ago. Um, So I went through high school and or all of school struggling. So I, I actually graduated from high school with a cumulative 1.4 1.4 GPA for all four years. And wow, I actually okay. had to go to day and night school just to graduate on time. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was brutal. And, um, you know, it, and it changed like my whole trajectory in life. Like I recently graduated from college because I had no idea. I had no idea what I was experiencing was like different. And I, and I, you know, I think about kids like that too. Like I, I've talked to some parents who, have uh, kids with IEPs and, you know, oftentimes like don't feel supported or um, I definitely see like the, um, what is it called? The um, standardized testing being a problem for them. Um, So if you're going to like have testing that determines like where schools are at and how people are doing as individuals, but it doesn't like mesh well with like how their learning style in general, then you're setting them up to fail. Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And even having like, you know, for me, I'm somebody that uses reading software, Uh, reading software and having um, digital books made it possible for me to graduate. And so this like virtual learning environment, when people are saying like, oh, it's terrible, like the kids are like suffering. It's like, but did y'all do it right? Mm. Like if you if you take a note from like universities and like schools that have been doing this, they didn't just do it for you know, the pandemic and everything, like y'all could have, instead of reinventing the wheel, you guys could have reached out to schools that already do it and have already mastered it right. and make sure it is the learning environment. Because there are some people that I'm sure thrived in this environment that didn't thrive in the in-person environment, but they, I don't even think that they've taken the time to see who those students were and why. Right. They absolutely did it. Actually, two um, things you mentioned just recently, and I would like to hit on it real quick. The first, um, I'll do the second one first. 
I know that sounds stupid. I'm sorry. But um, I had a parent who's reached out and was like the reliance on technology, such as computer programs and th- that test aptitude. They would like to know how can like how would you suggest or provide? I don't know the right word to say because I'm, I'm changing the wording of the question on the fly. I'm so sorry for doing that. Um, how would you like probably change it? Because their fear is and they've already seen it. Their kid got punished when they thought, oh, it's just a game when it was testing their aptitude during class versus he actually knew the material. Like, how would you suggest implementing it to the school board so, like, it's taught better or used better so that kids that actually thrive in a virtual environment actually know that, hey, this will affect you and we want you to keep you here so you can learn everything you can. Does that make any sense? If it doesn't, I'm sorry. Let me think. Um, so how would you how would you capture like what they're good at if like like if they're if they thrived in this learning environment how would you capture that and how would you use that yeah what the question well what he wrote to me was reliance on technology such as computer programs that test aptitude in the virtual learning kids get punished failing grades for either not having internet access which I was like that's something different oh yeah yeah and when they think the program is a game. When they think the program game is a game and mess around and it ends up failing them, although they're passing in the classroom, his fear is the negative retribution, mainly of, you know, they because they're a kid. And no matter how many times you explain to a kid, hey, this is not a game because it looks like a game they're used to. They just kind of mess around with it and they fail and then they end up like, but I'm passing the class. And then like, you know, the system's like, well, no, you failed because you failed this program. And see, like, I think, I, I don't think that, like, at least from what I've seen, like, or, or talked to, like, teachers and heard about um, the way that they're doing, like, the virtual learning, I think that they're doing exactly what they're um, being given as far as, like, curriculum and stuff. So if there is that gap that, like, kids are, like, oh, this, there's a bit of confusion about whether or not this is a game, there's probably, like, a missing step to, you know what I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. I, if, if a lot of students are like, deter- like thinking that it's a game, I would think that maybe the format needs to be changed. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that I can think. I'd have to like see um, like an example, like of what it looks like. No, I understand. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and, 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 um, and just to piggyback off of that, um, it makes, oh, Chris, because as you were uh, asking the question, I was thinking about it because I, I translated that to, you know, when we were growing up, they wanted you to learn, you know, numbers, things of that nature. So number crunches was a major thing. Right. And so you knew the object of the game and that was to, you know, teach you, you know, multiplication tables, how to add, subtract, you name it. Mm-hmm. And so that would be something that they would do as an activity. But in this particular case, uh, Chris, the question um, from uh, the one um, commenter was basically, here's something that looks like a game, but it's being used to really test that child's ability. Right. And then the child seeing it is, you know, not processing that this is a serious thing. And so, like, actually, to, you know, your point, yeah, this is something that they we need to see how it's designed. So um, in that particular case, uh, because I also saw that and you you mentioned it, too, actually, that you were looking to, uh, you know, back everything up with data. So when it comes to kids learning, do you see more an initiative to change the way children are learning by making sure that these programs are actually 
designed in such a way that children know there's a test? Would there be communication going out that helps parents be able to better communicate that to their children ahead of time? I just think that there needs to be like one more than one type of way of learning in general. Like, so, you know, like there's, there's, there's ways that I learn that I'm able to like retain information better with my learning differences. And there's also like, that applies to like other learning differences too. So yeah, I just think there needs to be like multiple paths to getting to the same goals. So if somebody's more of like a visual learner and, and is working well in that environment, then that would make sense to keep them in that environment or have something um, that is playing to their strengths. But if, if for other kids, it's becoming like an issue, then, then yeah, like address having an, uh, like create another format that works better with their learning style. A cu- like I don't a customization, a tailored. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, like I feel like on the college level, like you're able to find, that customization a little bit and make like more decisions about like uh, taking intentionally taking classes that do work better with your learning style. And I feel like maybe if students don't have that option in like high school and stuff, they kind of miss that opportunity to really thrive. Um, and I think that's one of the issues with like, I guess just education in general is that we do want everybody to fit into a box. And now that we're learning more about like, you know, like folks with learning differences and just the way that people retain information, like I think that we we do ourselves a disservice by keeping like the old school ways of thinking. Because, I mean, like I said, it really jacked me and my family up, um, you know, trying to like constantly year after year feeling like I wasn't able like I wasn't smart like I had teachers tell me that like I was not smart and hmm. couldn't possibly go to college and stuff like like not teachers but um what are they like school advisors and they stuff like, when, like counselors yeah yeah. Mm. yeah when it came to college time they looked at my grades like that's how they judged me they judged me based on numbers and test scores and things like that and we're just like, oh, based on, you know, once again, trying to put people in a box like, oh, there's no pathway for you to go to college other than, you know, community college. But but even that, like, you know, I ended up failing out of, I think, four colleges because I had no idea I had like differences. So, no, I get I actually I get what you're saying. I think this is my fault. I'm sorry. I think what um, the, the follow up to that question should be is. May, is it possible, once elected to the school board, that once you see the data, you can put, suggest maybe a, a fail, I don't want to say fail safe, that's not the word I'm thinking of, but I'm going to use fail safe at this moment, a fail safe so you don't end up harming the student along the way because I think that's a lot of parents' main concern is like yes all of our children have different learning styles learning abilities learning formats and unfortunately being in a public school system that has literally said we do and in short said F them kids like we're hoping to have somebody I'm sorry but um we have we're hoping to have someone to say hey before you like no we're not going to say F them kids because we need these kids in the society that can work and read and function let's like think about how we are going to change use a data-driven approach to say for students who function well in virtual learning, maybe we don't need to use games to test their aptitude. Like you suggested earlier, like using systems that have already worked with other places. So like 
how would you envisioning it like hypothetically totally hypothetically how would you envision setting that up and presenting that to the school board saying hey there's an issue here a lot of kids are being said that they are below grade level because you know school's stressful this and they they don't want to take this aptitude test that looks like a game on their computer when they're doing virtual learning at home seriously we need to fail safe because we're going to do more harm to these kids than good and I'm yeah also, like yeah yeah and for me like when i say data sometimes people get a little nervous because they're like oh you're just gonna try and like get the data where it needs to be but no. for me the way that i look at data is i look at like okay say say there's a report or something and it looks like oh most kids did good but there's a batch that didn't right like my focus immediately goes to those that didn't and why exactly. like digging, you know what i mean so yeah like the the kids that fall into that group where they like do not feel supported or, or actually aren't supported at all um i'm just curious to know like i would be curious to know like what we're doing because I, I think it's actually a national issue because i do see education processes in like other countries where they do more hands-on learning there's not as much as much stress on like standardized testing right because it does feel like a lot of the standardized testing is very rushed and it's not it doesn't it doesn't really benefit the student it puts a lot of pressures on teachers and it and it doesn't allow them to like really like teach a teach a class in a way that kids find joy in being curious and you know being a part of the learning process like there's there's so much pressure to like meet uh like the standard but we're not all able to do that like that's just not i don't know no i i, I, I think standardized testing does a lot of harm that people don't understand oh no i fully understand mm-hmm. because again if it wasn't for the type of family i have and teachers that understood me give me a test and i'm looking at you like what kind of bs is this and i am failing you asked me to put it into practical use i'm a scientist so i understand what you mean by data because everyone thinks like when you talk about data oh you just gonna you go and fudge numbers you're gonna flip the numbers no it's like the data shows outliers we need to understand these outliers but also we need to understand what made it work so we can incorporate the outliers versus just looking at what went well and not went well but speaking of teachers um i had a few teacher friends one they they do think the iep process is not very um efficient and especially due to um, administration leadership. But one of the main questions that I got was both, both of them was like, no, this question needs to be asked was how, what plan do you have a plan to prevent teachers from being reprimanded from using mental health and sick days, especially coming off of the pandemic and also a drastic change in social environment with students. And both of them are one, one's a retired teacher who retired three years ago. And she was thinking about coming back into the school system, but she was like, I don't think I can do it with what they're asking for. And another one is currently in the school system. And she was like, she wants to be the best she can be for her students. But she's like, some of the stuff she's like, I sometimes just need a day, no matter how much I try to prepare over the weekend, I need a day to make sure I have the best quality for them because I don't want them to feel like I'm failing them too. Yeah, and I I definitely have to say, like, Baltimore City public school teachers are awesome. Like, I've seen so many leaves. Um, I've seen so many, like, traumatized, especially with, like, the COVID stuff. Um, and I'm definitely, like, a champ for teachers and, uh, like, support staff. Like, my husband was a paraprofessional for um, 
special education. So, and he's actually considering going to Baltimore City Public Schools and getting back in the in the field. Um, but yeah, like they do need to be supported. Like they're obviously understaffed. I believe there's. I, I've heard of some kindergarten classes that have like 30 plus students, which is insane to me. So even like that level of stress, I don't understand like how that's even legal considering that daycares have a quota of how many, you know what I mean? Like toddlers and babies they are allowed to have legally by the state. So how does that all of a sudden when they turn five and go into the public school system, that just goes out the window. Like they, they, uh, they made that quota based on, like early childhood development and what's, you know, appropriate for keeping everybody safe and, you know, being able to just stay engaged, like, and not overcrowding childcare. So I don't know. I think they need to, first of all, they need to make sure that the teachers that they have aren't burnt out because they are. Um, and also I, I, I honestly think that they need to do an interview of all the teachers that have left recently mm-hmm. and get like, honest feedback of like why they left what could have been better like a a very um detail oriented exit interview Mm -hmm. um and and really have like a reflective moment because if you're going to take that information and be like ah we don't believe you uh y'all are complicit not only with like the harm of teachers but also the harm that comes to the students because i've seen students like students love their teachers and you know to see them hurting and trying to preserve their mental health for their own families and really putting it all on the line and having the pressure of having to like buy supplies and also fight for like fair wages and all types of things. Like it's just, it's just crazy. Like I, I have a lot of respect for teachers and support staff. Like I don't know how they do it. Um, And so that's, yeah, that's definitely like one of, my focus areas is, is like being supportive of them and being in the room and making sure that they're heard. Cause, cause I have seen a lot of them like testify uh, in front of the school board and show up on a regular basis. And, you know, it just like even acknowledging their humanity. I just see that missing from the room. Yeah. Would it be possible for you to maybe suggest or ask for a plan or like submit a plan once you get in and find out how what how the how the council does stuff that principals are not able to reprimand them or that the reprimand must go through a um, HR or some type of layer of protection? Because yeah. my fear is, like you said, they get burned out. But like, not only do they get burned out, how every I can't say the person's name, but they recently they were in class. They were teaching. This was like probably in October and something happened in their family. And they was like, oh, I need to take a day. They didn't even ask for the week. They didn't ask for bereavement. They asked for a day. And the teacher was like, if not teacher, sorry, the principal, the administrator was like, if you call out, I'm writing you up. And it's not like they did it all of a sudden. It's not like on a Wednesday, like I have to take Thursday off. They was like, no, I need to take this day the following week. I have everything in place. And they was like, if you take this time off, I am writing you up. So luckily they they had the union on their side and the union stepped in before it got escalated and other stuff happened. I think something else has stepped in before it got to the union. But if you get what I'm, you get what my trajectory is, yeah. is mm-hmm. would you be able to put like something like a solid plan in place to show no, the council, at least for you being on, if once you get to the council, I'm not going to say if, but once you, you have a plan saying, Hey, this is a plan to protect the teachers. So they're not punished for that. 
Yeah, so I don't know everything about, like, what principals do or what they're responsible for, but I do, like, for from what I do know, there are some things that they have a responsibility for that's put on them from North Ave that I don't, like you said, like, the HR level and having, like, that clear policy. And I don't, I don't know why it's set up that way, but... I think that North Ave needs to take responsibility and also make it like, I don't know. It almost seems like it's put on the principal's plate in order for them to like be a layer of the bad guy (laughs) in a way, because like, you know, they have pressures too. So it's like, Oh, if you don't like crack the whip or what, I don't, I don't freaking know. Um, It's okay. But I mean, like, it's just, it just seems like there's uh, a very like top down approach and yeah, it just, it, and it, and it hurts morale. Like I've seen it hurt morale in the schools. Like when you can't, like when the principals and teachers, their, their relationship with each other is toxic because of how much that the principals have to manage and how much they have to like, um, I guess like punish their own staff, but probably understand that their staff are people too. And, but their job is also on the line. Like, it's just, there's a lot of stuff that's, like, foolish. And I'm, yeah, I'm hoping that working with, like, the union, they can really, like, sort that out. Because I feel like the union's got the best temp check of, like, how to change that. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself being uh, involved uh, in that change? Uh, like, a more proactive, taking a more proactive approach? I noticed uh, as part of your platform, uh, one of the things that you have on there is, mor- you know, morale. Uh, basically, the Baltimore City uh, public schools are often poli- uh, politicized and criticized. Uh, politicized and criticized, excuse me. And that some of those critiques are valid, but um, you're looking to uh, change that uh, to yeah. make things a lot better. So, uh, linking that back to uh, just what uh, Christine was asking you, do you see yourself being uh, more involved to help it? to help situations that the union doesn't necessarily have to get involved or are you looking to find a way to maybe build those communications so they are a lot better so when a teacher says hey you know i have a situation i need i need time away uh what would be your uh strategy for that i mean if there if there's policy in place that prevents them from taking care of themselves and their families like we need to address the policy like that's just that doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I, I think my place, like I wouldn't want to, like I'll speak on behalf of folks when they tell me it's appropriate, but also I believe in like people that are most impacted leading that the way the policy should work to serve all of them. So I, yeah, I, I definitely think that I would be somebody in the room that would be able to coordinate a conversation and, you know, I, I have seen Baltimore City Public Schools be like, oh, we're getting trolled by like, you know, like Fox News and all these places. But in order to like minimize some of that, you have to address the legitimate concerns, you know, so don't don't give these like groups fuel. You know what I mean? If you're still like not addressing the fact that like teachers are, you know, being harmed or forced to do things, um, you know, as far as like grading and a bunch of other yeah if if there's a bunch of dysfunction and if it's a reason for people and if you're not listening to people 
and their only other option is to go find anybody who will listen, like you're, you're messing up your own morale and your own PR, in my opinion, by like not taking it seriously when you, you know what I mean? Like when you could have fixed you, but I, I do see that when people receive negative critiques, they immediately assume that the other person is coming in bad faith. And I don't, I don't see that the case at all. Like, I think a lot of the stuff that the teacher, the working conditions that these teachers are working in and pushing through it and, and like even hearing some student perspectives of um, how their needs aren't being met. Like how many times do people have to say it before you say, oh, this might be an issue? Question. Um, do, um, I noticed on your website, you said nurses in every school. Could you elaborate on that? Like as far as like how that would be imp- implemented here? I think that that's a budget thing. So the fact that there aren't nurses in every school is concerning to me, um, especially because, you know, nurses, well, first of all, nurses and wellness centers, I kind of think of together. Um, the wellness centers are huge because, you know, we're dealing with like, I hear people talk a lot about like the pandemic and the stress and all, all the things that, uh, people are dealing with in the schools, but I actually went to a school that had a free um, school-based wellness center that offered therapy appointments, uh, oh. like primary, there's actually reproductive uh, services like that you could opt into. Um, so like birth control, just learning about those things. Cause like, that's, that's the other thing is like people assume that every student has access to those things outside of school and that was not my reality, like, for part of it. So um, in order for kids to, like, be able to learn in that environment, they need to be taken care of as, like, human beings. So that includes, like, having nurses and having their health um, on point so that they can pay attention. Like, yeah, it just it just makes a lot of sense to me. And especially... I, I see kids being used as like pawns in certain conversations where they're like, Oh, the kids have like a lot of needs that aren't being met, like uh, that are tough issues. Right. Like if, if, if kids are really like suffering that way, don't just talk about them when it's convenient, do something about it. Like we have some of the best hospitals in the city. And so the school-based wellness center that I had was actually partially funded by the local hospitals so in order to like meet kids where they are like it should be in the school and any school that doesn't have that is like at least in my mind like not being like under underutilized because they i know the, the school board stresses like the whole kid approach but in my mind like this city definitely needs like a whole family approach okay i have an odd question um I've always wondered this. This isn't on my list. This has just popped up in my head. Why is there a reason Baltimore City does not utilize the grants available? And like, would you propose maybe hiring grant writers so we can tap into that source of money? Because I feel like we don't get as much funding from the state as we should. And I am a firm believer of if they're not going to give it to us, get it from somewhere else and keep it pushing. I know there's other rules and laws in place, especially if you're coming from the federal system since you worked with the um, DHS. I understand there's other rules and laws in place to access those grants, but is that an option for the city or is that something you're not sure of until you get in there and say? Uh, I know there's definitely grants available for 
definitely the community school coordinators need help with funding. Like I know ours, like she's responsible for her own like grant writing and things like that. Um, but yeah, there, there, first of all, there's blueprint funding, which is going to be huge. Um, but, it, but we also have to make sure that we use it right and invest in the right things. Like I don't like my worst nightmare is seeing it more schools shut down and then all of that funding go to schools that didn't really need it right. in the mm-hmm. first, like that's just, that's worst case scenario. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause it's, it's almost like, like I, I've seen, I've, seen people move to other neighborhoods that are already thriving because the school is better mm-hmm. so it's almost like enforcing like gentrification and disinvestment in communities so i think that it needs to be like a real equity lens not just saying if it goes to any any baltimore public schools then it's it's well invested like it definitely needs to most of it needs to go to the schools that are the least invested. If they're on a chopping block for closure or even the neighborhoods that had a school closed, that's where the funding needs to go first. But also like tapping, like you said, tapping into like any federal funding. Like I know that there's definitely grants that have to do with um, eco conscious infrastructure. Um, there was even like a grant for like, I know that the school system doesn't have, that they may have a couple buses or something or like but i i believe most students use public transportation which is also scary to me um because i used to ride public transportation and i i had some incidents so i can't imagine like all these littles like getting on the light rail and buses and stuff to get to school or how much time it would take for that process uh, i mean so, yeah, i, I I'd love to see them invest in that. Yeah. I, I Being someone that had, like, most of us had to use public transit to get to schools, it is it's both actually a very cool bonding time and also a very scary time, especially when yeah. you're dealing with some wild stuff. It's But also looking at the infrastructure of the school and, I mean, not the school, the infrastructure of the city and the fact that they keep re- reducing the amount of roads and main there are ways to have bike lanes. <laughs> I'm almost of the sense of like, yeah, leave public transit alone because they have, they just, I don't know. That's not it. I'm just making a bad joke. Um, Actually, I want to go back to something real quick. <laughs> two two things. Um, I'm probably will forget about the IEP question. We'll come back to that if I ever remember it. But one of them is therapy because honestly, I'm not going to lie. The last three years, can, is it three, has been super stressful. And I know a few teachers have been like, they do offer like where they have not one-on-one time, but the teachers are allowed to give the students group time to talk about oh, I'm happy. huh it broke up oh it broke up a little bit oh i'm sorry um i was talking about therapy cuz i wanted to get back to the wellness can you hear us better now yeah mm-hmm. all right cool so i wanted to know like do you have a do you, i don't want you to give out all your plans but do you have an idea or a plan in place once you are on the board about integrating smaller therapy sessions or having therapy sessions available for group therapy, small, not not 35 students, but like 10 students to um, have access to that after coming off the heels of this. Because I don't want to keep saying, oh, it's been a pandemic. But no, seriously, I think just in general, going to school is a very stressful and traumatic mental experience. Whether you're an extrovert, introvert, whether you have special needs, whether you are a typical student and, you know, just I think a small therapy session is needed do you have a plan to or an idea of how you would like to see it implemented over the next let's say four years if you are able to do that 
I think that's a great idea. And and that's like exactly the way that I operate. Like not all the greatest ideas come from me. So, you know, I didn't have that on my plan, but that's definitely, that makes a lot of sense. Like just even processing like the pandemic and things. And I, I, I think even to expand on that, like having some type of um, support group for like parents, like after, after school where people can come and like decompress or like do like, I love art therapy. That's like something that I do for myself. Um, but yeah, just, just being able to like talk, like talking in, in uh, like peer support groups is super helpful. And yeah, I don't think it's smart to just like bulldoze through and not address like what, how difficult like the past few years has been. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, I think that's great. What is your position on COVID right now? Like, what is your, do you think we should be all for, you know, everybody back in school or a balance of, you know, keeping the kids home, like depending on what the parent wants? Like, what is your strategy? Like, what is your vision, you know, moving forward, assuming that this thing is winding down? How would you like to go about that, you know, that precedent of everybody back in school or, you know, we're still staying home? Um, I think that, well, first things first, not 100% of the population can get vaccinated. Like, my son can't be vaccinated yet because he's too young. So that's that's one of my concerns is, like, going back to schools. I know a lot of places are dropping the indoor mask mandate. Um, and I know people will say things like, oh, only X percent of, like, young kids will actually be affected or have point zero whatever chance of like being hospitalized or dying uh as somebody who has been on the receiving end of those rare rare statistics mm-hmm. uh i i that's the way that i look at things like those are individuals uh so i am pro keeping masks on until everybody can be vaccinated first thing first um but yeah like as people are finding that they're better supported or they feel more comfortable um, being at home doing virtual learning. I do think that it's a lot on the teachers to do a hybrid. Um, But for the teachers that it's not difficult for, we need to like find those teachers and find out what they're doing right so that other teachers can adopt it or um, rather than everybody just doing whatever and and being told to make it work. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but I, but I do think that, like, with the anxiety and stuff that's happened with the pandemic, we do, once again, have to meet people where they are and help them ease back. Because even myself, like, going to in-person things, like, I have, I went on lockdown, lockdown with my son, and he luckily hasn't had COVID, and none of us have, because I wasn't playing any games. So. Right, um, right, but, right. Yeah. Yeah, but now that we're easing back into peopling and, like, once he gets vaccinated and stuff, that's definitely something that I'm going to have to do gradually. I just don't want to, like, jump all in into having, like, like meetups every single day. Like, that would be, like, kind of jarring. So I do think that we take that into consideration for parents that are also dealing with that. So the end game is to have everybody back eventually leading to that that point. Okay. when it's safe and when it's safe can't just be people deciding that it's safe for economic reasons. It has to be safe. Like there has to be consensus. And that's what I feel like I bring is I am like a consensus builder, but it, it, like I let the community lead it, not, 
you know, experts are great and stuff, but sometimes they're missing part of the puzzle and in their decision-making process. Yeah, and it's very tricky, too, because now they're saying this thing is going to be more like the flu, so it's never going to go away. It's always going to be kind of around, so we have to learn how to adjust to this, that it's here, let's take the necessary precautions. Now that we're comfortable with it, move everybody back in so we, we, we can get back to the program, you know, you know, business, as, you know, class as scheduled. Yeah. And we, and we have to work together, like not just giving directives and stuff, like making sure. Yeah. I don't know. But that morale piece like overlaps with like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So if there, there are teachers that like are showing up at meetings and saying, not until it's safe, not until it's safe. Like for them, uh, I know there's teachers like me that have babies and stuff. Uh, some of the babies have gotten sick with COVID as a result for them returning to school too early mm. because we're in the middle of the surge. And I feel like what they were asking for was not unreasonable. There were parents asking for it. There were students asking for it. I heard a student say that they had anxiety and like were freaking out about having to go back in January mm. prematurely in the middle of a spike. So, um, yeah, there just has to there has to be a balance between like expert opinion and what people on the ground are saying. Okay. Okay. I like how you really focus on uh outreach. Uh and every, you know, just with every question just as we've been talking, I've been noticing that you really do hammer on the points of making sure that everybody's involved in those conversations and COVID definitely is, you know, something that everybody needs to be involved on. There needs to definitely be some uh, teamwork. Uh, so that is something that I feel uh, just hearing you speak about it, that that's really reassuring for me personally, uh, because calming the anxiety. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because um, I, I just remember when the news got out about like, oh, hey, you know, uh, start looking to, to go back to work and things of that nature. And meanwhile, we're looking at the the meet the news, you know, on the other end. And it's like, OK, are people really paying attention to what's happening? Yeah. You know, because yeah. I, I honestly felt like there were so many folks trying to rush to the, the get back mm-hmm. and, you know, hearing that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, students and teachers, you know, expect to be back in school. You know, parents having to, you know, figure out if they can even get, you know, somebody to watch their children, you know, what, you know, a lot of things are happening and everybody just, you know, rushing back. And the only thing that I was seeing at the time was people are worried about losing money. Right. Yeah. They're not thinking about children. They're not thinking about the parents. They're just thinking about their bottom line. And that honestly, to me, is what got us into the period that we're in now. Right. Right. You know, so Rob, that, that honestly, that was, that was a very excellent question. And, uh, Ashley, thank you for expounding on that. Uh, yeah, because I know we, we definitely have people around us that died in that. Mm-hmm. Surge, you know what I mean? Like, that's what they have to remember is like a decision, like in this moment results in death and just hope that it's not your family. Absolutely. But striking a balance, going back to you, you're striking a balance of making sure that we're 
paying attention to what these families are going through because it's not a linear process. COVID is not linear. It, it, it moves in waves. So understanding, look, this is where we need to be. We need to be moving kids back or hold on a second. You know, it's very, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough. So it just makes me feel better hearing you, you know, really putting a, you know, family first approach towards what your, you know, goals are. It's really, yeah, and yeah. I, I also think that they could have, you know, coordinated, like, because like I said, two weeks, two weeks delay was not enough. Like, teachers weren't asking to, like, close schools forever. But that two weeks in the middle of the spike, like, we would, there were so many, they had to close anyways. Like, that should be the lesson. <laughs> they had to close a lot of schools because of outbreaks right after they went back. Mm-hmm. So they they it's not like nobody should have been shocked because people were raising the alarm like students were like i'm scared (laughs) and people were testing positive left and right like and and where did that that concern get raised from it got raised from the community they got raised from teachers support staff students and parents and for the parents that were like i need to go back to work there also could have been some type of coordination to say, okay, so these parents cannot keep their kids home. How can we, if we go to a hybrid thing for two weeks for the parents that need extra support and economically are being forced back to work because of decisions or whatever, um, maybe those students could have gone to like a certain location or and done like hybrid, like in a building so that, yeah, they were, able to be on site and not like home alone or, or have the parents have to take off work and risk their employment. But yeah, there's, there's so many like options that could have been done that I feel like it was just like all or nothing. Do you feel that um, because of the pandemic, we really, really seen the benefit of being able to learn from home. Uh, some children, yeah. you know, like some children were excelling, you know, uh, very well because they were at home and able to, you know, go online for class versus having to be in the classroom. Do you think that going forward that we should be looking more into online learning as an uh, official uh, platform for children to learn versus them having to go back to that classroom environment? Absolutely. And the reason why is because, you know, I'm somebody that got my degree fully online. Uh, And I am also in the workforce uh, where most of my jobs, I I actually see Baltimore City. I didn't put this on the website or anything, but I think Baltimore City has the potential to be like a Silicon Harbor, like a tech capital. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because like there's Fearless, there's other like groups, like we're so close to a bunch of like federal agencies that have like a heavy tech presence. Um, And a lot of that has to do with working in a virtual environment. So I actually think that like the education system is a little bit behind. So if they can master remote learning and like seamlessly make, uh, make it easily accessible to students and how to be, how to be productive, like on your own and independent and curious and, and thrive in these type of like learning environments. um, It sets them up to be perfect for all these remote jobs. There are so many, like, remote jobs are, like, the new normal. And I think that if they don't get it together, then potentially, like, these students in the future workforce would be left behind. No, that's that's facts. Like, I had two small questions about that because two things I'm concerned about. I know I should be reading the questions people gave me, but I'm going to ask this anyway. Um, 
I'm, I, I want to apologize to the people that gave me questions because I know y'all be like, you didn't ask my question. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm concerned because I think that for Baltimore City, I just wonder, one, like we have a large English as a second language population. We have a very large ESL. And I am very concerned, like, this is a good opportunity to maybe, like, implement a program where it's like no matter what, Spanish is now a core curriculum from pre-K all the way up to 12th grade because I just think that, like, our students need that. That's one. And so I would like to know what your thoughts are on that. Would you be willing to implement something like that? Also, I would like to know, would you be willing to say, hey, also, not basic computer technology, but true computer programming needs to be implemented from at least first grade. I would honestly say pre-K, but I don't want no one to say she that's high, really lofty. There's other skills that need to be implemented. But computer science to me, specifically technology and programming, is a math-based science and it's a language-based science when you look at the elegance of a, com- a computer language like Perl or what's the other one? Python. Python, but there's another one I'm thinking of. CSS, all of those. Would you be willing to like... Or is that something that you could put on the radar on a long-term plan to say that we need to treat these as core curriculums the same way we treat English, math, lit, and all of that? Absolutely. Okay, so first the tech question. Absolutely. So I told you all before, like, I was dyslexic, and actually coding is what where I thrive. Like, I didn't learn that in school. I taught myself. And at this point, I probably know, I don't even know how many programming languages. Um, and so, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, that's a skill set that just that exposure is good for anybody, whether they want to go on tech or not. But also, it's like the Spanish language thing. Like, we're one of the few countries where we don't speak more than, you know, like other countries, especially like Europe and like really anywhere. They're, most people are like bilingual. Yeah, I think America- oh, I think yeah, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. And also just being inclusive of like the population that's growing in this city and just like around the country. Like, I just, yeah, I think that's I think it's awesome. I'm really um, I'm, I'm really an advocate for mental health. And so kind of a counterpoint to what you were saying, Christine, I feel as though we sometimes flood kids too early with all these options now granted foreign language i'm totally for you know people learning it at an early age but i guess i guess more in terms of like the trades you know like not every kid to me knows what they want to be already and it's like from you know grade one we're already you know putting them in on this path so what do you think i just kind of wanted to hear what your perspective is on that as far as uh, you know, the vocational schools that you mentioned and how they should be Im- implemented here? Well, I think that, I think high school is kind of like the, well, I guess like middle school and high school would be more appropriate for people to like start really like diving into their uh, like career paths that they're curious about. But I do think that like computer science, is good for everyone to at least like have exposure to. I don't mm-hmm. think that yeah, definitely, definitely to it because like littles, what it really teaches them. Well, when I say littles, I mean like elementary school students. Um, it teaches them like logic, right? Or yes, um, being patterns and puzzles and things. So it's 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 actually kind of fun. I don't think that it mm-hmm. puts pressure on like necessarily go into that career path, but I do think everyone should have like at least some exposure. 
because it does apply to several different career paths outside of tech. Yeah. Uh, just being able to problem solve. Yeah. Um, but yeah, vocational schools, like there's, there are so many um, HVAC and uh, like my husband, like the workforce that he's in now, like logistics, there's, there's job opportunities in that. But in the city, it seems like that we don't have people ready to fill the job. And so as a result, a lot of the jobs get filled from pe- by people from other counties. Well, so I do having that access to get into those career paths and um, get exposure in high school and, and middle school is good. Yeah. Well, I will say for Baltimore City, we do have several vocational schools. But I think with the vocational schools that the city does have, it they have not. I Again, anyone hearing this, if you're like, hey, you you don't know what's going on, you know what? I apologize if I come off ignorant, but right now I'm saying that I think from what I've seen and what I know from people who I know who went to these schools, they are not always as, um, I don't want to say prepared. They're not as funded as I think they should be. I think, like, yeah. to me, IT is a vocational thing now. And also the reason why I said earlier is because they have, there's studies, there's so many studies that have shown that if you get kids at, like, five or six learning how to program, that has improved their, yeah. like, lot in life. IT is universal. Yeah. Also, fun fact, did yeah. you know that most people that are dyslexic are really good at computer programming based on the yeah. number and the structure? So, <laughs> also, a lot of kids, I hate, I don't understand, like, there's so much data out here, and I love reading research papers, also because I'm in science, and, like, you go down one rabbit hole of looking at what a coaxialase oxygenase inhibitor does, and the next thing you know, you're in an educational paper. I promise you, it's happened many times. But a lot of times, you can find out a lot of issues with kids with certain things very early. Like if you do computer programming and you realize, oh, we have a child that's dyslexic, you find out at five years old, you can put those programs in place and they don't have to end up getting put into special ed. Or if they are in special ed, it's for reading but not for math. And then they they don't Mm -hmm. get labeled. Discernment, yeah. 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 That's exactly why, like on the platform, I put that piece in there about kids with learning differences being able to thrive rather than get by. Because I take that from my own experience. You know, I did terrible because right. I, I didn't have exposure to like coding. Like I can read code in any language, even if I don't have like hands-on experience with that language and pretty much sort out what it does. And I can read that better than I can read to myself out of a book. Right. So yeah, you're like, you're, you're like nailing it. And, and that's, that's what I envision is that for those kids that are like identified as having a learning difference, them having opportunities to be diverted into a program that does work with the way that their brain works. Exactly. Like I know for me, they identified that I have a speech. I had speech problems when younger. They put me in speech, but at the same time, they was like, she can actually functionally read two grade levels above what she needs to be. We need to put her in something that allows her to read above her grade level. Just because she's not talking at her grade level doesn't mean she's not Mm -hmm. functionally at her grade level. Yeah. So you need people who advocate for that. And, um, Ooh, I I think, um, that a lot of, a lot of times people don't want to realize that students learn different ways and excel at things differently. But even if you were to try and bundle everybody in this one room, this one group and say, well, this is just how you're going to learn. It never pans out. Me, I was the type of student that it wasn't that I couldn't learn whatever was being taught. It was, how are you teaching it? Right. Okay, you know what? This doesn't necessarily work for me. Like my mom would be mad because I come home with a bad test score. Right. Thing about it was nobody really sat there and said, "Hey, so how do you like to study?" 
Right. They just say, oh, sit here and read this book and just go over things until you got it. Mm-hmm. Right. That wasn't me. And it wasn't until college that I figured, you know what, as I'm reading this, let me go ahead and make my own notes and then go read off my own notes. Right. I had a test that was basically I was told if I don't pass this test, I might as well drop the class. So I had that type of pressure. If I had that type of pressure in high school, I probably would have figured it out then, but I didn't. Right. It was I went to class just so I could pass. Go ahead and be done. I wanted to be free. <laughs> so. And we still yeah. have pressure. Yeah. We still have like uh, like ADHD isn't really respected. Oh no, they don't. I feel that. in our culture right now. Yeah. It's they, still you know people joke about it. Oh, call, I have ADHD. You they know? call us lazy all the yeah. time, and yeah. I feel like I and, can, and they don't. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say they don't realize like the mental health impact too. Like, cause me and my sister both have it, and you know, like it manifests in different ways. Like, mm-hmm. so like, there's so many people that go that are like misdiagnosed. And then later find out that they have ADHD and what they were misdiagnosed for was just a symptom of the ADHD. Yes. And people are like, oh, you just like can't pay attention to that. Great. I was like, no, I literally cannot turn my brain off. Yes. Like, yes. Know, so it means insomnia. It means like stress. It means like being overstimulated. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And it is still stigmatized. Like I know in my family, like you know, there were, there were situations where when I was a kid or and me and my sister were little, like where they raised concerns, they were like, they're struggling and being diagnosed. I think sometimes people are like, Oh, they're just trying to diagnose all kids and just put them on meds and stuff. But they also do us a disservice if they're worried about the stigma that comes with it and don't let us get diagnosed. Right. Absolutely. Well, I will like to ask because we brought up high schools and we didn't really talk a lot about high schools. And I think with high schools, and I know we're about to let you go. I know you're like, it's supposed to be an hour, but I have to, I want to get this in. Oh, no. That's what <laughs> um, because like with high schools, like, you know, we have to think about what it's like to transition into adulthood, leaving high school, going into college, leaving high school, going into your trade school, leaving high school, going into a job. And then like, when you talk about, um, I, I don't want to keep saying disabilities because I know someone out there is like, y'all just said disabilities. Like, no, when we say disabilities, there's a whole spectrum, but like, would you, is there anything in your radar? Do you have a plan for handling students who one? Okay. First, do you have a plan for making sure that there are more, more money is going to these vocational schools? So students know like, Hey, just cause you don't go to college. Don't mean you're successful so that they can go and become a plumber. IT, um, HVAC. Cause I mean, like, listen, I'll tell you right now, plumbers make $44 an hour. Um, HVAC makes $44 an hour. Everyone that I know who works in HVAC, they make $150,000 a year. And that's base minimum. I know someone that brought home $500,000 last year in HVAC. And I was like, sir, why are you not married? Why am I not being taken care of? And he laughed at me, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so like, do you have a plan for like addressing, getting more funding into vocational schools and upgrading them? Cause I do want, our vocational schools in Baltimore because that's the beautiful thing about Baltimore City. We have citywide schools, we have vocational schools, we have art, we have um, um, creativity art-based schools, and then we have traditional schools. Also, like I didn't even get into the charter school things. I'm so sorry. So, do you have a plan, an idea, a thought process for that? On the second part of that question, and I'll remind you when we get, if we get to that. Is it possible to incorporate more life school courses? I think that's another, t- that might not be a full school board question. That might be later. Or at least have some type of counseling for students who have disabilities leaving school. Because I've seen it myself one too many times where people who have like ADHD or dyslexia, they leave Baltimore City schools or they have autism. That's another one. They leave the Baltimore City school system and no one is there to help them. And everyone's like, well, they should have a social worker. And I'm like, you don't understand. Once you turn 18, it's like a death sentence. 
Yeah. And like, is there a way to have like a transitional program for them to like reach back to people who they feel comfortable to for a year just to help them get on their feet a little bit more efficiently if their families are not able to help them? I'm sorry for word. I I have a bit of a story. Like I don't really get like personal too often, but, um, so when I graduated from high school, I was in foster care. And for me, like there were support services like that were both like nonprofit state run for that transitional piece. Like I lived in an uh, independent living program until I was 21. And like one of the things that they offered um, was like, like all types of things that people wouldn't think about. Like they assume that all kids have like support and know how to like pay bills or set up bills or find a place to live just like life skills. Um, so I do think like all those skill sets are like important and, and they should be taught to everybody and not just assume that everybody knows all those things. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I do think that the earlier they teach that, the better. Cause I, I know they teach like health and stuff, but even like expanding on that and teaching like financial literacy or, uh, just, I don't know, like, Anything possible that an adult would need if they were cut loose at 18. All those skills that should be wrapped into something in high school. Because, yeah, like, there's a lot of kids, like, that don't have the support. Um, And if they don't have the support, then their trajectory in life is not good. Like, it is a struggle. Like, even with those supports that I had, it was a struggle. Absolutely. So, like, would you be considering, like... Again, I know these programs are available, but with like, let's say their junior year, would you like, not you can't do it because I, again, I had to realize when I talked to my friend about these questions, she's like, the school board is not a magical genie that can do all of this stuff. They just implement it. And hopefully when it gets to the administrators, they're able to give it to the students. But my thing is, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I do think they have a lot of power because they have power of the budget. And so, so, so the problem that I see a lot is that they have the budget, they make decisions, but they aren't a part of the implementation process. And so say you implement like a new program, like I said, when I went on that rant about the principles, that's the first thing that comes to mind because the principals are in charge of like keeping the, the landscaping up to date and like hiring fire, like, well, not all of hiring and firing, obviously, but, um, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that falls onto the laps of people that didn't make those decisions, right? right. So I think North Ave needs to also invest in their own infrastructure. They need to invest in communications because that's obviously lacking. Uh, they need to invest in the actual implementation part so that the burden doesn't go on people on the ground level. Because if it, if it, if it does that on top of everything else that they already have, then it's not going to live up to, the, to its potential. So I do think that they need to invest in in people to actually make sure that everything is planned out and like thoroughly thought out, that there's opportunity for the community to give feedback and actually help craft these things. Um, yeah, like that, they need to invest in themselves <laughs> and, and make sure that, you know, when people are asking for things, it's not just checking a box saying, oh, we threw money at this, it's good. No, like it needs to be really like thoughtfully and carefully like planned out and implemented making sure that the money's that's not only allocated but that's being used yeah. as being used properly exactly and i i do believe in like revisiting where money has gone and making sure that it did actually what it was intended to do 
Oof, reminds me about a uh, horseshoe casino. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Oh, yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, <laughs> we could really talk about that one because, yeah, that's a whole other. I, I was burned. I, I felt, I felt some type of way, and I knew people that was like, yeah, we voting for, voting for having a casino because, yeah, that, that's, that's going to bring money towards the schools. And I'm looking at them like, you know, that money is not going to go towards the schools, all right? I was like, that <laughs> yeah. one is nowhere like i was like where they want to build it is illogical i said does not have any effects to make people want to spend their money that was number one number two i said why do y'all always think it's going to give money to the school systems why all this is going to do is take the money from people who have gambling addictions but that's okay fine take their money i'm not going to fight them three i just don't i just now that the gallery is closed and you have that whole renaissance right there I don't, and if they don't either make that into some type of business school for the city, they better move Horseshoe Casino over there because it makes no logical sense to be That's over right. there. It's so stupid. Like, I'm going to go into a casino and not see water and feel romantic and feel like I should be my big spender of money. Forget that ish. Anyway, I'm going to calm down. <laughs> and and it, if you go to Horseshoe, you're like looking straight across at like public storage and like, <laughs> like there, it's just, it's just surrounded by foolishness. Like, I don't want to go to a casino and see Rofo. Yeah. don't get me wrong their chicken and wedges are good but gosh darn it no i i think i think for me when they got rid of that one uh shop they made the i like the the real fun alcoholic type drinks yeah they got rid of that and i was just like oh oh, see you're messing up already i was like like, you're getting rid of the one thing i come in here for because you know it, it didn't help that live actually threw their billboard up like right across from the casino yeah so it's been a whole entire circus from jump and the only thing i could say was that you know what folks wanted the casino we got the casino and every once in a while i'm just like so y'all, y'all going to get the money to the schools now because that's what y'all said y'all was going to do i mean yeah you know ethel's complaining that she didn't hit big so she got to go to work on monday so since you got ethel's money can <laughs> you take ethel's money and give it to the schools like y'all said y'all was going to do no what no okay and that's why it's so important. Like, I do think these school board races are like a game changer. Um, even though they're just two seats, like, I do think that there's people that are on the school board now who have also raised concerns and have gotten backlash in the past for raising like legitimate concerns. So it's like the way that I see these two seats is like, if we can get two people in there that on a regular basis, meeting after meeting can be like the voice and the voice of like people like everyday people and like common sense and asking the right questions then we can kind of ensure that it the money is going to places where it's better serving people and also like hold some of those developers that come in for stuff accountable and making sure that they're actually giving stuff to us that is like serving the students that we have so as we wrap up here what, what would you say are your top three priorities going in uh, definitely the wellness centers, number one. Um, the teachers and support staff supporting them and making sure that they get everything that they need. And then, let me think. I'm trying to think of what else is on there. I would definitely say the data-driven part because that just comes naturally to me. Um, so data, data-driven decision-making, but also using data like I said, to revisit past investments and making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do and that it's not a bad investment. Awesome. Awesome. Ashley, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed having you. 
Yeah, we. we oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, like um, because you know, I would see I would see a lot of your posts. Also, uh, shout out uh, to you, especially for not just having you know something on your website where people are like, oh, that's just a platform. No, actually you would be proactive even going this far. You know, like I, I saw one of your tweets where uh, you mentioned, you know, getting to know the people around your community, you know? And I yep. think that was, that was like very heartfelt because it's like, okay, you know, she's not just, you know, saying it. Yeah. You yeah. Know, she's being about it. And I think that's really important. There's substance there. Yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because anybody can come up with a website. Anybody can put information on the website and the whole nine, but you not only have that information on your website for people to go over over and folks, by the way, if you want to learn more about Ashley and her platform, we definitely going to have the link to the website in her, uh, you know, in the description of this episode, but also her social media where you can follow. And for anybody that had questions or you want to follow up, you felt like we missed a question. Uh, Ashley, do you have a way they can get in touch with you? Or is it mainly through the website or how can they do that? Um, they can definitely like message me on Twitter at Ashley Esposito, E-S-P-O-S-I-T-O, and then underscore, or I'm on Instagram, Facebook, like you can send me a message. Um, and then my email address is Esposito for board at gmail.com. So yeah, if y'all have any um, questions or anything, but also like the way that I'm running my campaign is very like grassroots. So I'm creating like, opportunities for like parents and students to get involved like from the jump like so i mean i plan on taking my son out into the communities and stuff in a backpack and meeting people so i think it would be awesome. like my vision is like to have a bunch of families like pulling their kids around in a wagon <laughs> just to go yeah. and like talk about like these school issues and like really meet people where they are like i'm not gonna just wait for people to come find me i'm gonna go find the people and i already have volunteers from like i think 44 ish different neighborhoods um and they all have different uh they're at different points in their lives and their kids are at different points in the school system so we'd love to have you now what about miss ashley's fridge i saw that on there yeah i have to upload some more so yeah the fridge is like like I built the website first of all, <laughs> so I got really excited. I decided I was gonna run. I was like, let me build a website. <laughs> like, you just have like my vibe because I co-founded a um, a neighborhood wellness association called Village Violetville Inc. Mm-hmm. And part of like how we engage the community was simple things. Like we didn't make it all heavy all the time. Like we did kindness rocks and like hid them around the neighborhood. So the fridge kind of came out of that same vein. Uh, and I was like, yeah, like, I love it when my son, like, draws me things or my niece and nephews. So I was like, we could do a virtual refrigerator and just upload, like, drawings that people submit. So, yeah, you, if you go to my website, it's up there. Um, and you can upload artwork from your kids and we'll put it on the virtual fridge. Okay. So, Man, if they so, had that when I was young, I would go crazy with yeah, that. Yeah, listen, <laughs> listen. Because um, uh, one of the one of the things that I loved seeing on your website was not only, you know, that you had the art section, but that you do care about the arts too. Yes. So you wanted to make that um, something that, you know, parents are more involved in, schools are more involved in. Uh, because I have friends that if you ask them about their grades in school, 
you know, they would tell you, listen, I did what I did to get by. But if you look at their art and everything that they could do, the programs that they taught themselves, like photography, you name it. Yeah. You know, they're doing excellent. have gotten jobs. They've gotten job offers. Um, a friend of mine actually just finished um, doing a promo campaign, uh, helping a social media campaign for doing photography. You know? Yeah. Actually, um, <laughs> one of the chapter like I guess organizers for black women photographers so yeah I'm a photographer like uh, freelance and stuff like that so that's why that's so like important but I don't like promote it obviously <laughs> like I don't want to like cross gotcha. um, you know like I was like let's keep this political but also yeah that's why it's so near and dear to me I love that I yeah, love that cause... yeah I mean I mean for me that one you know that to me drew my attention like this person is you know you know, you know, multicultural here, you know, in terms of the art form. I, well, I just love art in general. So, yeah. and then, yeah. and, and, and honestly, uh, and it just goes back to the fact that, you know, if you just go by test scores, you're never going to know what brilliant someone is capable of, you know? Yeah. Like I'm, I know people that they may not have been the best student in school. But ask them how much they make a year. They're making sixty five thousand plus a year, and all they're doing is their passion. You know, mm-hmm. there's more than one way to succeed, and I think when we figure that out with our youth and embrace it, you know, things go a lot better. Actually, focusing on them, finding out what their strengths are, not just putting them in a broad box so that they fail. Yeah. And we was talking about programming earlier. There's some of these kids that they they come out, they know their way around a computer. I think there was I think there was a story. It was a child was like around like 14, but yeah, knew how to hack into a system. I was scared. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I love that. I was just, but I was like, whoa, like a lot really? of them can. A lot of them do a lot of main <laughs> hacks. Like, give put them a- me to shame. <laughs> really. <laughs> But you know, but that also goes to show why we we need someone that's willing to bring forth data to show people there's a different way and there's a yeah there's a way that things can be done and how we've been doing it hasn't been working we need to do something else yeah so you know Ashley want to thank you for coming on to the show and kicking it with us yeah um, was there anything you wanted to say before we close out to get out to the people here. Um, I would just say, like, definitely everybody subscribe because, like, we're going to be pushing out uh, updates and stuff on this race. But also, I do think, I guess the last thing I'll say is that this is the first school board race for Baltimore City. And I do think that we should be conscious of the possibility of a situation that just happened in Philly. Like, I don't want to get too, like, political because it's a nonpartisan race. But in Philly, um, I do want to raise alarms about this. Uh, there were conservative, like, I guess, like, right-wing, anti-mask, anti-CRT folks hmm. that bankroll um, some school board candidates. And this is happening across the country. Mm-hmm. So, so I do think that people should pay attention to this race and, like, who they're voting for um, because there is that potential for that happening in Baltimore City, like some trolling Mm. with this race to see it made a mockery of so let's keep it positive and make sure we support the right people be careful with your votes yeah yeah it it is nonpartisan, so it doesn't show party affiliation on the ballot absolutely i am down with that all right 
this has been man. I, I've loved this. This is this has been great. It has. It has. It has. It thank has. you all so much for having me. Oh no, no. And listen, and, and thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to the chat with us. <laughs> give the folks a chance to to know. Yes, we also had another guest on the show too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's the assistant that's the backup yeah he'll definitely out with me like in a backpack this is getting me right in the feels <laughs> but we don't want to hold you up I want to thank you again for coming on the show folks definitely go ahead reach out to Ashley make sure you follow her on social media check out her website if you got questions please don't hesitate to ask her get the be be proactive and getting information and also let her know what's going on in your community what you feel needs to change with the school system what you'd like to see change you got children that's in school maybe you have a child that's about to start kindergarten you know whatever wherever you're at in this space reach yeah. out be proactive <laughs> yeah yeah and i'll definitely respond love it love it thank you again oh, thank ashley you. Y'all have a great day. You too. All Thank right. You. you too. Thank you so much. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. <sighs> oh, shit. Oh, oh, I'm still recording. <laughs> well, not recording. I guess I got to edit that part out. All right, folks. <laughs> All right, no, I I hung up phone, but now okay. just want just okay. want to thank y'all for tuning into this episode. Um, that was awesome. That it was, was really awesome. And again, check the description if you need information on how to get in contact with Ashley. If you have questions, you can also check out uh, her website. We're going to link all that info for you, so you'll have it. And uh, uh, have a good day. I'm not sure how to to end that. Except, uh, yeah, have a good day. We out of here. Yeah, see you. <laughs>